You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Good news for lovers. Good news for lovers in Virginia. The Virginia State Legislature has finally passed a bill repealing the state's ban on oral sex between consenting adults, even between consenting opposite-sex married adults. Their sodomy law in Virginia – it's been on the books for a long time – didn't just ban gay sodomy. It also banned straight sodomy. Yes, straight people, we've covered this before. Please consult your notes. You are sodomites too. If you're having sex that is not open to procreation, even vaginal intercourse using condoms or birth control, that's sodomy, butt sex, sodomy, oral sex, sodomy, frottage sodomy, hanging from your ankles and getting jacked off by your wife in a dungeon, sodomy. But it's not going to be illegal in Virginia anymore, technically illegal because the Supreme Court, of course, many years ago, a decade ago, overturned sodomy bans, state-level sodomy laws, the criminalized consensual Gay sex and a whole bunch of consensual things that straight people might want to do with each other too. But state bans on sodomy still exist in many other states, Virginia not being one of them now, but in Alabama, Florida, Idaho, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Texas, and of course Utah. There are still anti-sodomy laws, unenforceable, but anti-sodomy laws on the book. So give a blowjob in Utah and you're technically – in the eyes of the state of Utah, a felon even if they can't arrest you. One of the interesting things that people lose sight of that that I talk about frequently is the way what we consider normal or kinky shifts over time. And of course, when these laws banning heterosexual oral sex were written into state statutes, that was considered the height of depravity. Oral sex was depraved. Even 30, 40 years ago, oral sex was considered something that sexually adventurous people did. It was kind of kinky, this oral sex shit. And now, of course, oral sex comes standard and any model that arrives without oral sex shall be returned to the lot. I don't think this means we're drifting ever sort of depravity word. I don't think this means that one day we will be just fine with fucking dogs. I think what we've shifted here on is our conception of what is legitimate, uh, permissible, healthy sexual expression and looking at what's happening, looking at a dick in a mouth, whether it's a girl mouth or a boy mouth, but a dick in a mouth and thinking, oh, that's wrong. That's not the standard. That's wrong because God wants babies. You got to put that dick in a twat or you're wrong. You should go to jail for all that dick and mouth shit you got up to. No, we look and say, are these adults? Are they consenting? Is it mutually pleasurable? Is everybody willing and having fun and is this creating good – in the lives of the participants, release, intimacy, pleasure, bonds. And when we look at that, that new criteria, consent, pleasure, that means we are not going to drift ever depravity word until we are raping children and fucking dogs and sexually traumatizing and abusing people because that's the direction things move. No, the direction in which things have moved is toward consent, consent as the guide consent as the standard by which we judge an individual act of penis and mouth's morality. And Virginia has joined us in the 21st century 
and repealed its sodomy ban. Congratulations, Virginia. Go out and suck a dick. Coming up on the Savage Lovecast today, tons of your questions. Coming up on the Magnum edition of the show, Ken Jennings, Jeopardy champ and author, will be here to bat around some sex questions with us. He's answered a lot of questions over the years in the form of a question, but he's never taken sex questions. Today, we put them to him. And next week, some of you have been calling in and asking if the sex worker panel is on. It is on. We've assembled our panel, getting everybody together in the same place at the same time to record the show is a bit of a challenge, but we finally were able to schedule it. It is next week's show. All of your sex worker questions answered. Hi, Dan. This is Damon. I have a question for you that's been really heavy on my mind. I met a girl online a few months ago, and we've been talking every day ever since. We hit it off really well. We have great chemistry. We have a lot in common. We share a lot of values. We see eye to eye on almost everything. Originally, I thought she was exactly what I wanted because she has a heart, she has a a strong brain, and she has a great body. So all three bases are covered, so I thought. There was one problem, though. When we finally met in person, I saw her... Of course, I saw her naked and and we had sex and I saw that she had a lot of scars on her body from plastic surgery. She has three kids and she's she's, uh, reconstituted her body through plastic surgery. And even worse, I guess she's done it in some third world countries and some of it just really looks pretty horrible. The scars look really bad. Uh, her, Her breasts are very weird looking and the scars are very obvious so now I'm I'm conflicted I feel almost guilty for even caring uh, because we have such a strong connection but I feel that attraction is a very important part of any relationship uh, I don't want to start a relationship with somebody who I'm not attracted to and part of me also feels like the person that I'm touching is it's not her actual body it's like it's a it's a body that was created by a surgeon. And so I don't really know what I what I should do, if I should see if I can get used to it, because we really do. I've been looking online for over a year. I've met a lot of girls and talked to a lot of girls, and this is the one that most closest matches what I want, other than these physical imperfections. So I really... I'm torn about what to do, whether I should wait it out or whether I should be up front with her and tell her, look, you know, I'm I'm not attracted to you because of this or give her a tactfully tell her what I need to tell her. So that's, that's my question. Could, could I eventually be attracted to her? Not that I'm not somewhat attracted to her, but not anywhere near. She went from being a nine to a five or six in my book. And so hopefully that'll change, but I don't want to lead her on or hurt her in any way. I'm going to answer your question operating under the assumption that you are free of all physical imperfections yourself, that there is nothing about your appearance, your body that is in any way problematic, unattractive, uh, altered, scarred, messed up, um, that does not conform to the male beauty ideal. I'm just going to assume that I am speaking to Adonis. Um, wow, heart, strong brain. I like a strong brain myself. And great body and scars. It does seem 
from surgeries that she had post childbirth to conform to the beauty ideals, the the high physical demanding physical standards uh, that women are expected to meet when they're competing for attempting to attract a mate. That she went out and got the surgery post the three children that allowed her to once again, you know, be as close as she could possibly get within her budget to that physical ideal, the physical ideal that you were looking for. And, you know, then you see her naked and then you find the evidence that she's had surgery, that there are scars. You know, a lot of women have scars from trying to live up to impossible standards of beauty. Some of them are physical. Some of them are psychological. Hers are physical. I can't order you to be with somebody that you're not attracted to. You know, you I, I can't guilt you into it, although it sure sounds like I'm trying. I can't guilt you into fucking this woman for the rest of your life despite your aversion to her body, despite your revulsion at these these scars. You need to ask yourself though, if she hadn't had these surgeries, would you have been attracted to her in the first place? And bingo, maybe that's why she had the surgeries because it was the only way to attract the attention of men, of men like you, of Adonises who have big hearts, strong brains and perfect bodies, just assuming you have a perfect body. So I think you should recognize your complicity in this, your sort of collective kind of male gaze responsibility for what she's done to herself. And after you recognize that, you should end it with her and keep your fucking mouth shut about why you're ending it with her. You can't, I can't order you to fuck her for the rest of your life as some sort of reparations at the tip of your dick for what men have done to women over the centuries, over the millennia, for these impossible beauty standards that she went out there and worked at conforming to and then rendered herself the closer you got, less attractive to you. You don't have to pay reparations with your dick for the rest of your life, right? What you do have to do is be a little sensitive to her feelings. You like her. Big heart, strong brain. From a distance, great body. You have engaged with her. You guys have formed a bond. You can't, you, you, you've talked. You've, you've established a degree of intimacy. And so now if you're not going to mount her for the rest of your life, you need to stick this dismount. You need to stick getting out of this relationship. So you need to tell the big fat fucking white lies. You need to do the it's not you, it's me thing. Maybe she'll connect the dots. Maybe she'll feel terrible. But maybe the next guy who's into her, this won't matter so very much too. There are guys out there who will not mind guys out there with scars of their own who perhaps will not be as bothered by them as you are. And who knows? Maybe if you stuck around for a while, maybe if you gave her a chance, maybe if you spent a couple of hours standing in front of a full-length mirror looking at your own body, you could perhaps grow to appreciate the parts of her body, all of the parts of her bodies, including the parts of her body that have been altered because they are the parts of the body of this person that you have fallen in love with if you allow it to flourish. People get past physical imperfections. And you know what? Even if you meet somebody perfect, physical imperfections are coming their way. Physical imperfections are coming your way. If you are currently an Adonis, you will not always be an Adonis. Scars, accidents, age, burns. We are all shredded physically in the end. The longer we're here, the more imperfections stack up. So if there's a real connection here, a real emotional compatibility, you might want to give it a fucking shot. You might want to give it 
a few more goes. And then if you can't, bow the fuck out gracefully and can be considerate and keep your mouth shut about the actual reason why, if indeed, after giving this a chance, that is still the reason you want to end it. Hi, Dan. I'm a 35-year-old gay male, and I'm obese. I've been in a relationship for 11 years with another chubby guy. Even though I'm not attracted to big guys like me, I fell in love with him all those years ago, and we're still together today. About three years ago, we opened our relationship for sexual play with others. It was his idea. It wasn't until then that I learned about the very active online world of chub chasers, and I came to realize that I could attract guys with body types different from mine and closer to my physical ideal. Up until then, I'd always naively thought that fat guys dated fat guys and slim guys dated slim guys. I hadn't ever seen evidence to the contrary. After I began making friendships with chasers, my self-esteem skyrocketed, and I started feeling regret over having spent my entire 20s thinking I could never be with somebody I both loved and was physically attracted to. In a few cases, I developed pretty serious feelings for some of my chaser friends, and it's only because those chasers either weren't available or interested romantically that I haven't had to make any very difficult decisions about my relationship. I have a huge amount of love for my partner, and the thought of breaking his heart is horrific to me, but I'm finding myself wishing we could just be best friends so I could try dating other people while I'm still relatively young. Unfortunately, in one of our more brutally honest conversations, my partner let it be known that he wouldn't want to be in my life as anything but a romantic partner, and I know it would destroy him if I broke up with him now. At the same time, you know, I'm hesitating to walk away from a relationship with my best friend and then risk never meeting that one chaser who's both available and interested and who wouldn't feel like a hollow emotional replacement for my current partner. So what do you think is more important, that I allow myself to try to be with someone I'm both emotionally and physically in love with, or that I try to appreciate the gift I have in my current partner and fill the physical attraction gap by playing with chasers on the side? Also, I worry that I'm playing with fire by keeping this relationship sexually open because it's only a matter of time before I end up playing with a chaser who does want to be with me romantically, and then I'm going to need to face the choice I've been avoiding. But on the other hand, if we close the relationship, then I never get to enjoy sex with a slim guy again. Uh, I don't know. Is that just a shallow consideration? I'm sorry to drop so much on you, Dan, but I'm feeling really fucked up and I could use your insight. The first thing I want to address is this idea that your current partner, boyfriend, husband, whatever it is, would be devastated uh, if your relationship were to end. Um, when people say that, you know, I, I might want out of this relationship, but I can't end it because it would just destroy my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my husband, my wife, my partner. Uh, it really is kind of a narcissistic bank shot compliment you're paying yourself that you are so amazing and what you bring to this person's life is so irreplaceable that this person couldn't survive the loss of you. What you're saying is, I'm awesome, they're a weak bag of slop. I'm amazing, and they are insecure, pathetic, desperate, wholly dependent on me for their sense of self and security and wholeness, and that's just almost always, 99.99% of the time, just fucking not true. That is the coward's afraid to pull the plug excuse for not pulling the plug. I'm not telling you to pull the plug. You know, if I were your partner, I wouldn't want to be with somebody who didn't want to be with me, who was only with me because he thought I, you know, I was all he could get. That said, you know, you guys, because at one point in your life you thought 
you know, big guys dated big guys and you weren't that into big guys, not your physical ideal, but all you could get. But over the years that you've spent together, you've established a real loving, lasting bond and you care about him and you care about his feelings and you're facing that the road you didn't take moment. Please listen to uh, Follies and Company, everything you need to know about long-term relationships, gay or straight. You will learn from Stephen Sondheim's lyrics and music in Company and Follies. But you're at that road you didn't take moment where you look at your partner and think, I, if I had made a different choice, if I had known at the outset of this relationship what I know now, I might be in a different place. I might be with different people. I might have a different kind or type of partner, but I didn't make that choice. And now here I am feeling sometimes melancholy. I love company. I hate to hammer away at Stephen Sondheim in my musical theater sort of lessons about life. Everything you need, I need to know about life. I learned it at the musical theater, not in kindergarten musical theater. There's a beautiful song and I have mentioned it before in uh, company where somebody's asked if he's ever sorry he got married and he says, yes, you're always sorry and you're always grateful, right? In some ways, you're sorry that you're with this guy, but it sounds like you have a lot to be grateful for in being with this guy. And rather than end the relationship, it seems to me that you could have this relationship, have this love, have this stability, have the history that you have with your current partner and have that skinny guy too. You guys have opened your relationship up. You've met a lot of guys who are into you, who are chasers, who are closer to your physical ideal. Your partner obviously isn't threatened by that. You're doing this with his blessing. Your fear is what if you meet somebody who wants an emotional connection? Well, what if you do? It isn't necessarily a zero-sum game. You do not have to, at that moment, choose between the love in your life and the new love in your life. You can have both. It is possible. So in some ways, the choice you're presenting – so in some ways, the choice you're laying out for yourself is a false one. I can have the person I'm with or I can have the hypothetical – skinny, athletic, chubby chaser to be named later who may fall in love with me later. And that's not necessarily a choice you have to make. And if you're worried that your partner would be destroyed if you left, this is a conversation to have with him now. What if I meet somebody, one of these guys, and I develop feelings for him? It is possible to be in love with more than one person at a time. We can love more than one child that we have. We can love more than one parent. We can love more than one sibling. We have to face up to the fact that it is possible to love romantically more than one person at once. And that new feeling, that new love, doesn't have to mean that the love that you have for the person who's been in your life longer is in any way deficient, diminished, or damaged. So I guess I'm asking you to do some homework with your husband, your boyfriend, your whatever he is, this guy you've been with for 11 years. Go to him and have the conversation about – open relationships, about polyamory, about this false choice that is the only way we've been allowed to think about long-term, loving, romantic sexual relationships. And you have the gay superpower here that if some guy, some chaser falls in love with you because you're this big guy and that's part of what attracted you in the first place and then you guys realize the more you hang out that there's an emotional compatibility there and a romantic connection, that guy could also feel the same way for your big current partner, that that guy's presence in your life could be something that you both enjoy rather than something that means you have to end your current relationship. Good luck. Hi, Dan. I'm the tech savvy at risk I'm a 21-year-old straight girl living on the East Coast, and I'm a senior in college. And 
I have a question about my current partner. So, like, we're in a pretty serious relationship. I mean, as serious as they get in college. And he's going to be in the same city that we are now next year. He has a job. And I'm just now finding out about grad schools, but I will probably not be in the same city. And that's fine. We talked about that. Um, And he's great and wonderful. But I don't know if I'm, like, crazy or not because... I have, like, one – I have a very tight-knit group of friends, right? And then, you know, he's my partner. And I don't have a lot of straight, single guy friends. But, you know, he is just really outgoing and friends with a ton of straight, single girls. And I know he would never do anything, but it just really – like, they're flirty with him in front of me, and I don't know them. And, like, it's fine. I know he would never do anything, but it really – pisses me off and it's the kind of thing where like when I don't see it it doesn't bother me but then like you know we'll be sitting in the library doing work together and some girls just you know decides to like come up and join us and I'm like I don't know who the fuck you are and it just really pisses me off and I worry because I'm just jealous and I know he's not going to do anything but like you know we're sort of planning on staying together while I'm off at school because like it's only going to be a year and a half but I just don't know I just don't know like is this going to be a deal breaker like should I confront him about it or should I just be like you know I get jealous but like I know he's not going to do anything so I just need to like bite my tongue and deal with it that thing you keep saying I know he's not going to do anything you can't really know that for sure and my challenge to you would be to contemplate what would happen and how you would feel if he did do something if something did happen in the year and a half you're going to be Apart, you know, the road to divorce court is paved with I know he's not going to do anything or I know she's not going to do anything. But what we know about infidelity, what we know about long-distance relationships, what we know about cheating in the context of a committed relationship is that people do do that thing. And if only people who looked like they would do that thing did do that thing, then no one would ever get cheated on because no one would – who valued monogamy above all else, commit to someone who they knew was going to probably do that thing because it was obvious. It's usually not obvious. And I don't, I'm not trying to pour, pour poison in your ear. I'm actually trying to make this relationship work. I just want you to diffuse this bomb at the heart of your relationship right now, this insecurity bomb. So let's say you're away for a year and a half and he does do this thing. He makes out with somebody at a party or something happens or he gets a blowjob. And then you guys get back together and you don't know about it and he has the decency and common sense to not fucking tell you about it. And then 20 years later, you find out about it and clearly he's been committed to you. Clearly, there's love there. Clearly, you had a relationship with legs. Would you have wanted him to tell you in the moment? Would you look at everything that happened after that one stupid blowjob in the, in the year and a half that you were apart? Would you look at everything that happened after that as some sort of lie? Or something that you wished hadn't happened then because blowjob while I was away at college for a year and a fucking half? While I was away at grad school for a year and a fucking half, blowjob? Probably not. So I, I'm not telling you to like give him a permission slip. I'm not telling you to smile on infidelity or cheating. People should attempt to honor the commitments they make, including the monogamous commitments they make. But shit happens. Mistakes happen. People fuck up. And so I would encourage you as I encourage all jealous types – to really spend some time thinking about 
whether the relationship is more important than him ever, never, ever, ever touching anyone else with his dick ever again, which is more important. All that said, he sounds gregarious. He sounds outgoing, flirts with other people. Girls are into him. Girls are half the people rattling around, more than half, upwards of 50 percent of the people rattling around on college campuses. And so wherever he goes, there are going to be girls. And if he's charismatic and attractive and good for you, you've got a charismatic, attractive boyfriend that other women would like to fuck. How awesome is that? He's going to have to encounter them. And I would – rather than being mad at these girls who join you at the library table when you're studying, you should look at him. How does he handle them? How does he deflect that kind of attention or does he deflect it? If he invites it, if he welcomes it, well, that's maybe not a great boyfriend for someone with your particular insecurities or worries. But if he generally is just – kind and passive and shuts them down and doesn't fuel the flirty fire, then he's doing right by you and you should take no, he doesn't want to fuck other people for an answer and be content. You can also look at those girls who've joined you at the library table and think, ha ha, mine. I got him. He's mine. And I'm not so insecure that I'm not willing to let his light shine on you a little bit so long as his dick isn't touching you at all. While at the same time gaming out in your head how you'll feel if and when he does cheat on you or you cheat on him and what's more important, flawlessly executed, lifelong, monogamous behavior or the relationship itself. I always come down on the side of the relationship itself. Hey, Dan, Midwestern straight female here. So I met this guy on a casual dating site online. We were messaging and then we started texting super funny, really having a really good time. He sets up some time for us to grab a drink in the next couple days. Um, I'm totally into it, so I say yes. And then he discloses that he's paraplegic and is confined to a wheelchair. Um, and uh, I kind of respond with like, oh, okay, I'm cool with that, but I want to hear more. And as he tells me more and more details, it becomes clear that he requires quite a lot of care. He relies a lot on people to help him out. And that um, while it sounds like he's so able to participate in these kinds of casual relationships, it's still something that's really dramatically different from what I was looking to get into. Um, not going to be this kind of like raw, passionate thing. It's going to be something pretty different. I'm talking to you because I don't want to be ableist in this situation and feel like I'm discriminating against him because of his disability. But at the same time, I feel like the reality of this situation is now really different from what I had originally kind of signed up for. So um wanted to hear your thoughts. Wanted to hear whether I'm right that he kind of disclosed kind of late, or is that the way that you should do it? Should you line up the date first and then disclose? I wasn't sure. So anyway, want to hear what you think. Generally, when someone has a trait that might cause them to be unfairly judged and dismissed out of hand, not given a chance, I think that person has a right to withhold that info initially for a little bit so that somebody can get to know them. And then when you roll it out, maybe that person who would have rejected them out of hand without giving it a, a second thought at the outset, at the very beginning, will give it a second thought before they reject you. So whether you're talking about being paused, whether you're talking about uh, you know a, a major kink, whether you're talking about being a single parent, whatever. I think you do have a right to hold that info back so that other person gives you a chance and then you can roll it out and then they can make the decision about whether to walk away or not. 
And yeah, that decision can be a little harder after you've made even a small emotional investment in somebody. And you've made a small emotional investment in this guy and you don't want to hurt him. And he's paraplegic. You say – you use the expression confined to a wheelchair. I would recommend that you go uh, online and watch the film Murder Ball, which is about paraplegics playing basketball. And it is a vicious, intense game. And the guys who play it are hyper-competitive and hyper-athletic and hyper-fucking-hot. You, After watching Murder Ball, you will never use the expression confined to a wheelchair ever again. And after watching Murder Ball, you might – have second thoughts about whether someone who is paraplegic is sexy, attractive, a sex object, whether they can do it. They can. Guys who can play basketball in wheelchairs can do other shit in bed. You do say, however, that he requires a lot of care. I don't know what kind of paraplegia we're talking about here and he needs people to help him out. Well, we all do. And you said this was a casual thing, casual dating site. He hasn't asked you to marry him, Right. He just asks you to get to know him and hang out and maybe talk and maybe have a drink. What's the harm in that? What's the harm in giving someone a chance? You say this could be something pretty different. Being in a relationship with him, casual, a friends with benefits or whatever or a one-off, a one-night stand could be something pretty different. But isn't that what we're looking for when we're dating casually? When we're experimenting, we're looking for something pretty different. So I don't think it's necessarily ableist. To want to be with somebody who ha is not a paraplegic or quadriplegic or who is in good general working order, although paraplegics are and quadriplegics can be in perfectly fine working order. I think it's ableist of you not to give him a chance and you're not giving him a chance. You're not meeting with him. You're not staring down your own preconceptions about who it is you want, what it is you want. And it's these kinds of crushing beauty ideals applied to men that really destroy lives. So you don't want to be an ableist piece of shit. Go have the fucking drink and then see how you feel after that fucking drink. If you're into him, great. And think of it this way. You could go have a fucking drink instead with somebody who is not a paraplegic who turns out to be a complete fucking asshole that you regret having the drink with, that you never want to see or speak to again, full use of all four limbs or not. And you could have a drink with this guy who's paraplegic and discover that he's brilliant and funny and fucking charming and a great dude to spend time with. And then you may think, yeah, maybe physically there could be something there. Maybe I would. Maybe something pretty different is what I wanted. Or maybe there'll be a friendship. It's ableist of you not to give him a chance. It's ableist of you to establish this emotional connection with this dude, realize you like him, that there's something there, and then not even give him the time of day after you find out it's a paraplegic. Not even be willing to go have a casual drink with him. It's not a marriage proposal. It's not even a sex date. It's a drink. Go drink it. So everybody knows that I like straight guys. I don't like straight guys in that creepy way that some gay guys like, like straight guys. I like my gay guys gay. I like the men that I like to be super gay. Uh, but I like straight guys and I've been hanging out with straight guys for a long time. And I recently hung out with some great straight guys at a football game um, and, and I don't go to a lot of football games. In fact, I had never gone to any football games until – the Seahawks, which is the local football franchise, maybe you've heard of them, uh, were in some championship and some straight guy gave me tickets and that's how Terry and I found ourselves in a room full of straight guys who talked us through it. We really needed our hands held because we didn't know from football. And one of the people who was there talking us through it, holding our 
gay hands and explaining this straight football thang was Ken Jennings. He's the Jeopardy champion of the world, author of six books, most recently The Junior Genius Guides. He's just off a book tour now for his latest book. He's a big man on Twitter. You should follow him. And he is one of the straight guys who explained football to me. Thank you for coming in today. It was a pleasure, Dan. It's always nice to see you. That was your first game. That was my first game ever. It, it, it gets better. <laughs> Does it? Were you not? It gets better than winning a championship? <laughs> OK. It doesn't get better than that. I like how you said football game like you're a Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Like, like it had a hyphen in it. Like I was at a football game. <laughs> you're, you're still vaguely confused by the whole ritual you had to watch. I am. And I'm willfully ignorant about it. Like I know about baseball because my family was all Cubs fans and we got dragged to Cubs games when I was a kid. Uh, so I know from baseball. But football, I never really learned anything about. You were a good sport though. You, you like knew when to cheer and – I just looked at what you guys were doing and then, and then did it. We were freaking out a little more than you were. That was a pretty tense game, the, and the Niners game. Yeah. When, you, when we won, all the straight guys sort of dissolved. You were like, I remember you were taking pictures like some kind of uh, you know, researcher at the – Jane Goodall. The, yeah, you're Jane Goodall. It's some kind of tribal <laughs> ritual. So you're a smart guy. <laughs> yes, Dan. This is how you make your living. Smart. Yeah, I, I'm now a – you know, I was always sort of a nerdy trivia geek kind of kid mm-hmm. back before there was any cachet to being any kind of nerd. And uh, luckily, you know, the culture caught up with me and now I'm a professional ex-game show contestant, I guess. Prof- how do you get to be a professional ex-game show contestant? <laughs> it's hard to do, I think. It's, you have to win, what, 74 games in a row on Jeopardy? 74 games. Yeah, you have to not be looking for it, I think. I was never like, finally, I'm going to, you know, because you know, it was always my dream to be on Jeopardy as a kid. But after the show, I was never like, okay, My dreams gotta- are very different. <laughs> <laughs> I dreamed about being on things. My most erotic dreams were about Alex Trebek, actually. Is that weird? Have you told him that? I, we've never talked. Did Alex – did he get sick of you after a while? Did he get sick of the side of you? Did they make the questions harder after like the 40th game? They can't uh, – you know, it's still a felony in America to rig a game show mm-hmm. because of because of you know the scandals of the 50s. So they couldn't do anything to try to keep me on or kick me off. I think they had no okay, idea if it was so going to be good Coke for the show or not. So brothers are doing is not a felony. <laughs> but rigging a game show is a felony. Right. You can't you – know, if, you're, if you're gay, you can't get married in whatever, 30-something states. But you know, if you try to rig a game show, you're, you're going to jail. Look out. But uh, yeah, so Alex Trebek, you know, he can't he can't give you little hints. He can't wink when he's saying the right answer. You mm-hmm. know, it's uh, it's it's very high security on games. Did shows. they think it was fun that you were there for seventy four games? Did they get sick of the sight of you? Were they like, come on, lose already? I think they were worried, you know, because uh, the shows, you would never lose. Well, yeah, the shows don't air for months after they tape, so they're like, what the hell have we just done? Have we just ruined Jeopardy by having this, you know? This opie-looking nerdy guy on every night. People are going to get sick of this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, it turned out okay. People, you know, it sort of turned into a water cooler thing where people actually, you know, wanted to see me either win or lose. I don't, I don't know which. But, Your most uh, famous loss was to Watson. Is this uh, too painful to talk about? I, I've, I've been working through my feelings. I've been processing my feelings. So you, we can, you beat hundreds of people on Jeopardy and nobody remembers them. Watson defeated you once and everybody talks about that. Watson is an evil supercomputer from the future who, who came back to our time for the sole purpose of yeah, kicking my ass on Jeopardy. I don't know why IBM would pour millions of dollars into this, but it worked. Do I you was, take it out on your like, laptop and your cell phone? Are you mad at all computers everywhere? Or are you able to focus your rage just on Watson? Just came home and like took it out on the waffle iron, you know, uh, <laughs> the toaster. No, I, you know, I actually – All know, technology I, I lived, is triggering for you now. I was, yeah, exactly. I live in a cave in the mountains. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, a can of beans over a, some kind of barrel fire. Uh, no, I was a computer science guy in, in college, just like that at UW. My, like, it was my own tools turning against me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Which is our future, right? Eventually the, the sex bots and the robots and 
Skynet is going to take over and we're all doomed. Yeah, I feel like game show contestant is not the only job that's going to be made obsolete by, <laughs> by, these, by these new machines. Like I'm always reading in the paper like, oh, we don't need paralegals anymore. You know, we don't need pharmacists. There's like robots and computers that can do all these things. It's a little worrying. Maybe, we don't need game show contestants either. No, definitely. I mean but, I, sex workers are probably the last thing to go, I assume. I don't know. Is Japan working on something? No, yeah. Sex bots are coming. But, but everyone, They are? We they, they can about, come? They, yeah, oh, sure. They can do anything. We, we talk about this a lot. What everyone thinks about sex bots, they think about Jude Law in that terrible movie by right. Steven Spielberg. Like it will be a beautiful like human sort of sex bot. No, no, no. Sex bots are going to be centaurs and 70-foot tall lizard people. And you know there are people into giants. Is it like all virtual, or are these actual seventy foot tall robots no, running around having sex with things? Foot, they, they, that they sounds sort of terrifying. Yet, but they're coming. I don't want to. I don't want to sound insufficiently sex positive on the, your podcast, but that sounds terrifying. Well, what if you were a centaur fetishist and your any sort of sexual expression for you is lacking or? Uh, frustrated because you could never be with the object of your desire, which is a centaur. Because it doesn't exist. Because it doesn't exist. You have a fetish for something right. that but, but has people never do. existed. People have fetishes for things that don't exist. And the coming of the sex bots means that all of these things, all of these fetishes and kinks and desires that were unrealizable will be realizable. And isn't that wonderful? But you thing? see in movies, all these new technologies go crazy and end up breaking havoc. So I'm not the picturing, centaurs, I'm I'm not not picturing saying, some loving, consensual centaur. I'm picturing the centaurs galloping through cities. You know? We all saw Westworld. We know that ultimately <laughs> the centaurs will fuck us to death. But there'll be like a good two years there. <laughs> We're going to enjoy that little window, right? That's right. <laughs> so you're smart. I want to find out if you're smart about sex. So we're going to throw sex questions at you. Because that's, you know, that's, that's the one thing Jeopardy does not test, right? Right. You got people answering questions on you know, nuclear science and brain surgery. But it's never like you – know, It's never like how do you overcome a gag reflex? Right. Alex Trebek is never like – and uh, pegging. Our final category. You know, it, it just doesn't come up. He should. That would be a great show. Pegging, sure. Do pegging now because otherwise we're going to have to do centaurs fucking people to death in a few years. <laughs> what if we just do the whole show on centaurs? <laughs> I think Trebek probably at, you know, bachelor parties or something, you, you write a sufficiently big check and he'll come in and read sex Jeopardy clues. I don't know. Really? I don't know. I'm just speculating here. If I were the host of Jeopardy. You would think if anything could be replaced by a computer, it would be the host of Jeopardy and I re- not the contestants. I remember him saying, you know, uh, you know, I don't worry about Watson as long as my job is safe. Like Trebek had a very practical approach to the whole thing. You know, he thinks that nobody's going to be as dapper and, and, and uh, urbane as him. No, no computer. But he's a fraud. He's a, he's a fraud? Well, in a way because – well, we don't know if he's a fraud or not. But he is a fraud. He, he's he appears from to know class, all the uh, answers but he gets to see them in advance. We don't know how – Alex Trebek has never gone on Jeopardy as a contestant. That's true. But you know, it's the same. You know, uh, it's now that you're a big football fan. We don't ask the referees to play in the league for five years to see if they really understand the game. You know, it's true that he has we all don't. the answers in front uh, of him. I couldn't tell you that one you don't way or know. the other. Let's tell Dan that NFL referees do indeed have to play in the NFL for five or ten years to get really knowledgeable. No, he, it's true. He has all the answers. No, if you want them to be impartial, him. you should make them play in the NBA for five years and then <laughs> be, be very football confused. refs. They'd be very confused. Yeah, he, he has all the answers in front of him. And so, but he likes the uh, illusion of – I think he's a smart guy. You, know, you can tell when he's, you know, he won't just he won't just read the answer. He'll be like, oh, no, no. That's the Treaty of Utrecht. You were – you were thinking of the war of Spanish succession, not mm-hmm. Austrian succession. You know, he lives for that kind of thing. Okay. Well, I live for sometimes putting awkward and uncomfortable sex questions to people who don't answer sex questions for a living. So let's do this. Let's roll them out. I'm going to do my best. Hi, Dan. I am a grad student in the art program. And so we have a studio that we all work in. We have private studios and everything. And lately we have had a naked man running through the hallways, or maybe not running, maybe just walking, but I didn't see him. The other, another grad student saw him, 
but just kind of ignored him. He put his dirty drawers next to someone's piece. We didn't know exactly what to do. I said they should call the cops, but they didn't. But then I kind of got, well, what should I do if I see him? Because I'm not sure I want someone to get arrested, but I sure as hell don't want them to be walking naked around uh, the studio because this is a safe place for me and I, I want to keep it that way and not have to worry about a naked guy running around. So we thought we'd be gentle with you at first. Here's a question with a sexual dimension, but it's not about sex. They're not fucking. She's not fucking this guy. He's just running around naked in her art space. Yeah, and leaving his soiled underpants here and there to delight. It's not clear how – like if that's – if they're just dirty because he's sort of a dirty guy or if this is some thing he has where he likes to leave soiled clothing next to someone's piece. Yeah. Piece of art, I hope. Yeah, I, th- I think that's what she meant. Okay. Studio shared art space. Right. Maybe he's left a trail of dirty underwear around the world hoping the centaurs will come. And <laughs> Instead of rose petals, right. centaurs, like, uh, centaurs like uh, testosterone-soaked clothing. Well, could this be performance art? Maybe he's uh, doing a very elaborate exhibition. I don't know. Maybe it is performance art. But let's go with the theory that this is an exhibitionist who's making a bunch of women who work in an art space uncomfortable in what's supposed to be a safe space. What should she do? Well, it's not uh, – I assume exhibition is – you know, exhibitionism I assume can turn darker, right? Like – No. Some, no? Is that right? Well, I mean some people – yes. But a lot of people have the, operate under this uh, misconception that somebody who's flashing today right. will be raping in a year. And the studies have shown uh, that people who flash flash, that they don't progress. It's totally different. That flashing isn't the gateway, uh, freakazoid, non-consensual, slightly violating sex act that leads to the, the rapist. OK. But crazy violating. But still, these people, I assume they should have the right to work in a workspace without any naked people if they so choose, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean is it, is it, it's a bummer to go to the, the cops for this guy, but somebody should talk to him, right? Yeah. Oh, I don't understand why she's hesitating to go to the cops. Yeah. It's that's that's what they're there for, right? I mean, right. they're not gonna. If it's a university, I'm sure they get see weirder stuff than this, right? And you should go to the fucking cops. This is just a simple one. I think the only reason that they've hesitated to go to the cops, so it sounds like most of the people in the space who are using this art space are no offense, women. And uh, I'm not offended by women. Are you offended by women? Not at all. You're a fan. I'm married to a woman. Well, there you go. Weird, right? Um, and women are sometimes women are socialized, and it can be it can come out, it can express itself in such like weird ways that to a dude, like we're both dudes, we're like, why haven't you called the cops? I think the reason they haven't called the cops is they feel like they don't want to hurt his feelings. They feel like they don't want to get him in trouble and that's the way men are socialized. Oh, it's a man and so you should like – we should find a way to handle this, to work around it that, that sort of diffuses the situation that's non-confrontational. And what you need to be in this circumstance is confrontational. But luckily because of the existence of a police force, you have outsourced the confrontational – moment to the cops. To a guy with a mustache. And a gun or a woman or a big dyke with right. a mustache and a gun. You can call the cops and have them do it. But you shouldn't hesitate to call the cops. That does seem like a dangerous urge that women have this idea that, oh, you know, it would be uncomfortable if I were to confront, you know, do something about this man that's making me uncomfortable. That does lead to serious problems. It does. It does. Men who – a lot of men are really aware of this and dynamic they, they and they will that. exploit it. Yeah. I get calls all the time like somebody was touching me on the subway and I didn't say anything. I didn't move away because I didn't want to make him uncomfortable. I didn't want to like scream at him and make him uncomfortable. I was like, well, look what he's doing to you. <laughs> this is not his problem anymore. You need to take care of you, right? Right. So Jeopardy champ Ken Jennings says 
Call the cops. Yes, if that's what it's take, if she's waiting for a 74-time Jeopardy champion to solve this problem for her. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't call me, Dan. She called you. So That's only because she doesn't have Watson's phone number. That's right. Watson. I don't know what Watson what advice would give. Are you going to have him on the next show? Hopefully. Well, if I can get him, it sounds like he's fallen in the world. What if – yeah, it's, I read a headline. We were talking about this. I read a headline the other day that Watson was running a food truck at a, some kind of tech show. So What's next? Watson will be masturbating on the back of the number 10 bus. Watson's donating its plasma. It's so sad. <laughs> No, I, yeah, I, I, don't think, uh, I don't think you have to worry about Watson taking over your job, Dan. Hopefully not. Sex therapist seems pretty safe. Hey, Dan. I'm a 50-year-old woman in a straight marriage with a man. Um, I've got a question for you. When I masturbate, I think about women and men. Now, I can get wet with a man. Occasionally, I can come with a man. But I come much faster thinking about women. Does this make me gay or just bisexual? What do you think? Woman, 50, married to a man, can come with a man, can get wet with a man, comes much faster thinking about women. Straight gay, bye. I'm not an expert on female masturbation. You probably know that about me. It was on my resume that I uh, sent you. Um, I don't know. I feel Maybe like – it was the one thing we shared. Actually, it was on my <laughs> resume too. We have so much in common. We can do the same accents. We can both juggle and neither of us are experts on female masturbation. Let's go hang out. Um, I feel like a lot of times I, I assume it's just the, the taboo nature of the thing is what she's responding to, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't know if we have enough information to know if she really is uh, bi or gay or not. I mean she's she, – I assume she's been happily married for a while. I, I, you know, she'd probably be very surprised to hear she's gay, much less her husband. You know, maybe it's just something, it's something new or you know, that feels a little bit dirty or kinky, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is that a thing? That yeah, that is a thing. Sometimes people masturbate about things that they wouldn't want to do or they ma- – sometimes people have a, this desire to like look at or think about something that's taboo because it just like gets their juices flowing. But I don't know if woman-on-woman sex for a 50-something straight lady in a big city in the United States anymore is exactly – Taboo necessarily to so many years post Ellen coming out right. that it's it's not like thinking about you know incest or some of the crazy shit that sometimes people feel really conflicted about thinking about that turns them on that they don't actually want to experience or do. Um, I, I think you know there's, there are studies that show that um, you know you show porn to gay men or straight men and the straight men respond to the straight porn and the gay men respond to the gay porn. You show porn to straight women and gay women and the straight women respond to the Straight porn, the gay porn, the lesbian porn, the monkey porn, and the same thing for the lesbian. That's great. Less 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 channel flipping if you're you're a woman. No matter what comes up first. Gay men don't respond to monkey porn. Straight women, monkey porn. Anything gets women's juices flowing. And that could be it. Like I don't want to say you're not bi. There should be more out bi people in the world. But you don't – you know, she's never slept with a woman. I'm sure she would have mentioned that if she had. She has no desire to go out and find a woman. There's something about flashing on those images of woman, woman sex that turn her on. Doesn't mean you're not straight. There's tons of lesbians. We've had them on the show who watch gay male porn. Doesn't mean that they're gay men. I didn't know about that until the Annette Bening movie. The Kids Are All Right where they they watch the gay male porn every night. I was like, whoa, that's a thing. It is a thing. Well, I guess, you know. It's a fucked up, mysterious, weird goddamn thing <laughs> that I still don't understand, even though Leah Delario was on the show trying to explain it to me. I don't get it. So I thought I, you would know about it. No, it never comes up on Jeopardy. Girl, I mean, girl on girl is a very common erotic trope in the culture. And I assume a lot of these things can be culturally based. I mean, she sort of imbibed the idea that this is a hot thing. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes part of the fantasy just because America has told her this is a hot fantasy. I mean, and per- that, that it could, it could too, also right? be a little bit of projection. Like what you're fantasizing about in that moment is a, a super turned on woman and you are a woman right. who's trying to become reach super turned on status yourself. And so visualizing that super turned on woman might be what gets you there. Oh, yeah. The only way to figure out for sure if you are bi is to go eat some pussy. That's your advice? That uh, Actually, Watson phoned that in <laughs> while we were talking. <laughs> wow. Watson's uh, – I don't know. 
maybe Watson needs to uh, maybe Watson needs to dial it back a bit. I mean, that, that seems a bit aggressive. It does seem kind of prescriptive. It, yeah, like, we are not taking orders from the supercomputers yet. I mean, you 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 know that could be a suggestion Watson would have, but you know, I don't think she should be in bed like looking at her, you know, asking Siri, you know, looking at her phone, figuring out, you know, wanting to be told what to do. Hey Dan, twenty-five-year-old straight guy here. So. My workplace is a place that draws in a lot of young, attractive, fit, educated, hip women, but in particular, a lot of super attractive, educated, hip, and often married or partnered moms, which is tiring and stressful and awesome. Boo-hoo me. I find myself often just as attracted to these little bit older, mature women than the younger, freer, more independent girls around my age, but obviously, they're less often and less likely realistic options for me. However, there's this one married or least seriously partnered woman, mom of two, a little bit older than me, that comes in all the time. She's a total babe, sexy, interesting. She has amazing style. She's so mature. It's so hot. She's been coming in for a long time, and for a long time, we've just been making consistent eye contact, saying hi to each other. But as of late, our interactions have grown more frequent, much longer, and super flirty. I get super excited and nervous when she comes in, and she seems to have the same experience. The other day, my coworker witnessed one of our interactions. She said the sexual tension was, quote, palpable. I'm so attracted to this woman on so many levels and would love to go home with her while our kids are at school and go to town on each other and then sip coffee or tea or whiskey and listen to records and talk about world issues. But there's the husband and kids. So here's what I'm wondering. How can I dig up in her conversations whether she and her husband are monogamish or just totally open to other partners? They seem like the kind of progressive, hip, astute couple that could have that kind of arrangement. Is there a way to gracefully get to that answer? Or do I just straight ask her in the middle of our conversation about the shitty weather? I thought about just flat out asking her, which I'd rather not do and might make things weird and kill whatever relationship was there. But honestly, it wouldn't bum me out that much to not have a romantic relationship with a married mom that I never thought was very likely in the first place. Maybe all she's doing and all she's interested in is going to her local store and flirting and getting a little excited with the younger guy that works there, which is totally fine, and I'm into that, and I don't want to kill that. But maybe she's interested and open to something more, and if so, I'd like to know and act on that. The sexual energy is super heavy. How can I find out? Also, what if she wants this but doesn't have that cleared with her husband, i.e. it being an affair? Is it wrong to be an active and aware participant in an affair? I guess I don't know if I've ever heard your opinion on that. I'm pretty tempted to not care and think that they're insufficient marriage isn't a problem, but something about it seems wrong. What do you think I should do? Hello? Hey, it's Dan Savage. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Is it a bad time to talk or can you talk? Um, I am at work. Um, I'm only going to be at work for another hour or two. Is she there now? Are you making eye contact with her now? <laughs> No, but she was here this morning with her two kids. <laughs> mm, anything hotter than a woman with two kids, I don't know what it is. Uh, tell you what, we'll call you back in about an hour then, and we'll see if we can get you. Okay, that'd be amazing. Okay, talk to you then. Hello? Hey, it's Dan. Hey, Dan. Can you talk now? Yeah, yeah, I'm off of work now. Okay, so because you couldn't talk to me earlier when you would have had my sole focus, you would have had me all to yourself. You're now on with me and Ken Jennings, Jeopardy champ. And together we're going to help answer your question. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> so okay. since you called, have you fucked this woman? <laughs> no, definitely not. Okay. And I just want to, I, I think we need to clear the air here. This is a married woman with two children who comes into your establishment. 
Yep. Okay, Ken here has a wife with two children. Can you reassure Ken before we give any advice that we're not talking about his wife? Yeah, well, yeah. She's. Uh, <laughs> what, what does she look like? I no, I, I, I know, uh, I know that her husband's name is not Ken. <laughs> awesome. I just wanted you to feel comfortable. This is a safe space so you give advice. You're not accidentally advising somebody to cheat on. You didn't bring me in just for this very elaborate prank. No, this okay. isn't Maury. Not yet. Okay, so you know you have a couple of things he's wrestling here with. So there's clearly like a flirt going on with this woman, but she's never said anything explicit to you like I would like to suck your dick, right? No, no, no. And I don't think that under the circumstances you should offer. Maybe yeah. awkward. Depending on what kind of workplace this is, it might be awkward. What kind of workplace are we talking about? Vaguely. Uh, um, it's a it's a grocery store. A grocery store, and it's a housewife with two small children who might be bored at home. And there you are, the hot bag boy at the erotic grocery store. <laughs> Does she buy a lot of cucumbers? <laughs> I haven't uh, inspected. Uh, her, her basket. Okay. You haven't inspected her basket? Because she's inspected yours. <laughs> <laughs> From the sounds yeah, of things. I, I mean, even even since I called, I, I the thought I started to really ponder the thought of maybe maybe she's all she's interested in is just coming in and having a nice flirty conversation, and and maybe that's all there is to it. And um, that, that often is all there is to it. You know, Ken and I are both yeah. going to speak for the old married people. Uh, there's a lot of like <laughs> old married people. You go out, you, you sort of bask in sometimes the attention or the sexual sort of tension out there in the world and other people's sort of they, – they flirt with you. And then you take that energy that you sort of built up home to your spouse and you fuck your spouse. So just because someone's yep. out there like checking out the bag boys or being a little flirty doesn't mean that they are actively looking. Which I'm totally fine to be a part of that, to continue that and and to – improve their sex life. <laughs> but, but I think the, the, the rule of thumb here is when you're on the receiving end of that kind of attention from a married person, you let them initiate the wanna fuck conversation. You, it's, it, the, the ball sure. is, you, you've, uh, you've, you've indicated by your receptiveness to this kind of flirt that you're open and if she can come to you with an offer or with info like it's okay with her husband, that you're game. And so it's on her. Now, can, uh, do, you, do you mind if we talk about Mormonism for a second? No, that's fine. Okay, so about you, Mormon? Yeah, just you shut up for a second, caller. I think you're confusing okay. your caller a little bit. He, he so was like, I bet Dan's going to talk about Mormons now. So you're Mormon. I am. And so is there a Mormon answer to this question? I think, you know, you know, if, if I'm speaking for the institutional church, which obviously I'm not, or why would I be on your podcast, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> it would be no. You're not you know, one of the 12 apostles. <laughs> have you seen my business card? Uh, you know, obviously, you know, this is, I, I think they'd say, you know, this is like a slippery slope kind of situation where, you know, Harmless flirtation up to a point, you know, at some point, you know, if, if this is the kind of thing that's going to, you know, really mess up this marriage with this poor woman's family. I mean, she's, I'm, I'm picturing my kids now. So this is very personal to me. Um, yeah. So you want to you want to tread very so whatever lightly. else you do, don't fuck Ken's wife. That's the takeaway because <laughs> Ken has kids and feelings. That's the main reason I came on this show. My wife always listens and I want to make this very clear. No, I, uh, but I assume just by the numbers, you know, if we're looking at this mathematically, the vast oh majority God. of husbands are not cool with this, right? Yeah, the vast majority of husbands are not cool with this. So it might be awesome to think, you know, maybe they've got an, they've got an arrangement. But, but, a, but, a, but a woman with a husband who is cool with this is slightly likelier to be flirtatious out in public than a woman with a husband who is not cool with this. Fair enough. So that's some indication that there's possibly – but again, caller, it's – the ball's in her court. You've indicated your receptiveness to yeah. the flirt and if she wants to upgrade the flirt to something actual – which brings us to your final question, 
what is your responsibility? Is it wrong to be the active participant in an affair? Are you asking me? Are you asking the I'm, caller? I'm totally asking you. Uh, yeah, I, I I can wholeheartedly say, and I don't know if I know your I don't know if I know your position on this either. So maybe we're going to fight, Dan. But yeah, I, I would we're I would come to blows. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly say that uh, that's that's not cool. You know that you've really got to respect that that partnership, that marriage, mm. and uh, and that should be a rule of you know really stay out. Now what F- find a different sexy milf at the store. Now there are cases where you know people are together a long time. The sex has basically died. One person has no libido or super low libido, isn't interested. Cases where one person has really cut another person off from sex and – but also demands that they remain faithful, that they stay monogamous to this person that they're not having sex with, which in my world means – very abusive, right? You can fuck anybody else on earth. (laughs) Just don't fuck any – don't not fuck anybody but me. If you're not fucking me and I have to be monogamous to you, that means don't not fuck anybody but me, which means fuck everybody. (laughs) Um, But there are cases where people have to make – and this is where I get nuanced and it sort of freaks people out. They have to choose the least worst option. There are instances where I have given people permission to cheat instead of leave, where leaving and uh, divorcing someone and traumatizing kids, you know, abandoning a partner who's dependent on you economically or for health care uh, and tearing your kids' homes apart, maybe an affair that makes it possible for you to stay married and stay sane is the least worst choice under those circumstances. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm, I think I'm like you, and that I'm a believer. And sometimes you got to uh, you got to put up with something, yeah, something bad because maybe that's better for the household than the kids. Because if you've been abandoned sexually, right? But that's abusive, right? I mean, that's a, does that is that always an abusive marriage? You think if one partner no, is uh, no, really not always. It's sometimes it's just a really sexually incompatible marriage hmm. where there's a you know I get letters every day. I could take you through my email. Love my husband. Um, we're great partners. We're great parents together. Everything's really perfect. Blah blah blah. We, you know, we have a great time together. We share a sense of humor. We love doing things together. And you get to the butt, and the butt is we haven't had sex for four years. He would lose his mind if I had sex with somebody else. But I'm going crazy. I'm either going to cheat or divorce. We have three small children, one special needs. What do I do? And I look at those questions and I think, if the choices are really cheat or divorce, cheat. And sometimes this is the kind of thing that no therapy can help, you think. Like no matter what this couple does, he's never going to be – they're never going to have a, anything like a sex life. The, the like moving around of the deck chairs on the Titanic, <laughs> right. that, 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 that this instills in people. There's a famous article I, – I think it's famous or should be famous in CN, on CNN about how to save a sexless marriage and all of the options going down. One of them was divorce, which I don't know how divorce saves a sexless marriage. After <laughs> divorce was non-monogamy. <laughs> more, was, still more taboo than divorce right, and leaving, you know, more taboo leaving than divorce, kids. And, and a, divorce is somehow likelier to save your marriage than non-monogamy. <laughs> well, not, and and, and you know, some people say, well, you know, are you doing the dishes? Are you doing this? Are you going to counseling? Da, 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 and you run people through it and they have done all of that and it doesn't work. It's not that somebody isn't doing enough dishes to be desirable. It's just <laughs> that one person isn't interested in sex and is done with sex. That could be, it could be a physiological thing, right? Yeah, it Is could that... be a physiological thing. Or they could have always had a low libido. They could have been asexual and not known it or not realized it until later into the relationship. And I look at those cases sometimes and I think, fuck the guy from the grocery store. But non-monogamy, it's powder keg, right? I mean – Potentially, but so is monogamy. If monogamous relationships were 100 percent successful, monogamous people could swan around saying non-monogamous powder keg. <laughs> really? That's the cutoff? It's got to be 100 percent? It's got to be 100 percent. If That's... monogamy is this thing, is this – you know, if, if non-monogamy is kryptonite that destroys, then monogamy has got to be fucking super glue, and it isn't. I would have a lower threshold than 100 percent, but uh, but I take your point. So you don't think this guy should fuck her? 
I, I don't know. Like I think I think you're right in that it's sort of on her now. And I think you know my 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 perception from watching you know uh, television television taught me all about milfs, obviously. Mm-hmm. And you know she's probably just having a good time. She likes the sexual attention too. So there you go, caller. It's on her whether you'll be in her. Is that clear? Yep. That sounds yeah totally perfect. Okay. Thanks for calling. Yep. Thanks for calling. Bye. Hi, Dan. I am a 20-year-old straight woman, and I'm hoping you can offer me some insight um, about whether or not I should break off contact with someone. Um, I have a male friend. We're not really all that close, and he likes to write poems and send them to people. They're never person-specific, just really general stuff about life, which is fine. But I have begun to receive some poems that he had written for and about me or about times we hung out, and they were starting to make me a little uncomfortable. And then he came back from a trip with a very expensive gift for me, as well as a three-part poem in three different colors of ink that he had, like, ghetto laminated with clear packing tape. And so I decided that I should, you know, talk to him and say, I'm glad we're friends, but I'm really just not romantically interested in you. Be very clear. Try to let him down gently. But before I even had a chance to do this, I get an email from him where he's saying, hey, I really wanted to share this with you because, you know, it made me super happy and we should go out and get a drink to celebrate. And I scroll down. Attached is the actual email conversation between he and his doctor about the recent sperm sample that he had deposited. He literally sent me his test results and then invited me to go out and have a drink to celebrate the potency of his semen. I responded immediately via email, and I told him that this was completely inappropriate. He really crossed a boundary. This made me very uncomfortable. And he apologized, but he also kind of tried to defend it, like like he was apologizing not so much for sending it to me, but for making me mad, if that makes any sense. So I don't know how he could have expected me to do anything other than just recoil. But can you shed any insight onto why he would ever have thought that this was an okay thing to do? I kind of feel sorry for him if this is the only way that he knows how to interact with people. Um, I feel that this is extremely creepy, and I'm not that invested in maintaining a relationship with him. But we do have several mutual friends, and since... He's not really that important to me. Should I just brush it off now that he's apologized? I feel equal parts revulsion and pity. I don't know if I should just let this go or if this is something that is indicative of a bigger potential issue and I should cut him out of my life. Do you know why he did this? I am baffled. Okay. While we were not taping for a second, Ken complained that all the calls were a little like safe and a little too boring. Just right. Like, normal sex questions. I wanted like crazy scat stuff. Okay. I mean. Well, here we have poetry and there's nothing like <laughs> more unwelcome in an erotic situation than poetry. Than bad poetry, right? Yeah. It is the uh, literature equivalent of scat play in my opinion. But the guy switches from poetry to prose <laughs> in, the middle of the, in the middle of the wooing, right? Right. And uh, yeah and invites her out for a drink. Have you ever sent your – Sperm sample write-ups out generally to to women that you're not actually involved with? Not even to women I am involved with, I think. Like I don't have it on my like hard drive ready to go. I mean in his mind, is he thinking that's what she's waiting for? Like I got to know this guy's uh, sperm count and then we can finally go get a drink. What are they going to be drinking? <laughs> not white Russians. Whatever you do, if he brings you a white Russian from the bar, oh, back slowly away. On, Run. Wow. Yeah, I, I can't even put myself in this guy's head. He seems he seems pretty clueless about uh, 
I would say some kind of you know autism spectrum kind of thing, except he's sending poetry, which. Uh, Autism spectrum folks don't read poetry. I don't know. It seems like more of a you know young romantic kind of thing more than a. But it, but this kind of computer kind of thing. Completely clueless interaction with someone whose pants you're attempting to get into does seem very autism spectrum to right. me as well. Or you know at least very socially clueless. She's twenty. He's probably young too, right? Mm-hmm. Hopefully, maybe he just has no idea. This is the first girl he's ever really gone after and has no idea what he's doing. This is another case of the the way women are socialized. You know, she says that she wanted this to end, but she didn't want to hurt his feelings. She didn't know how to like deflect it. She wanted to let him down easy. Meanwhile, his creepy, inappropriate behavior escalates, escalates, escalates. So many women are the proverbial frog in the frying pan with the heat being turned up and never jumping because they don't want to hurt the frying pan's feelings. You needed to hurt this frying pan's fucking feelings Early on, like your poems are great. Please stop sending them to me. I just feel like you know I don't not into poetry, and it just feels a little weird. And when you got that triptych poem after the vacation and the inappropriate gift, then like, look, stop this now is, this because it's just going to get weirder. Right? It's just going to get weirder, and now it's gotten super duper weird. Now we've shifted from poetry to sperm samples and doctor's notes. And what's next? And, and what's next? And I'm not faulting you, Carl. Like this is the zap that the culture puts on women's heads, and then women call me when it's it, it's sort of mushroom to this out-of-control state where they don't know what to do. And you know, I always feel like I say, what you need to do is get in a time machine and the first time he sent you a poem, send him an email saying, don't send me any more poetry, please. Is there some aspect of denial to it where the, the, for whatever reason the, the, the recipient, the victim wants to think – Oh, you know, this this guy, he can't be as this can't be as weird as it seems, right? Perhaps, but it sounds like she had this creeping feeling all along. People don't send poetry to people they don't want to fuck. That's true. She's not, and, and, yeah. She obviously is not you know, she's been skeptical for a long time about uh, this guy, right? About his motives, about his intentions, about right. his It's not like this was a good guy, this is a good friend and suddenly he's sending me his sperm count. This is a guy who always kind of creeped and weird, weirded me out and I never gave him his walking papers and now things have gotten super creepy. Yeah, there's no reason to hang out with that guy. No, you have to say to this guy, fuck off, go away. Now quickly before we get rid of you because you need to get where the oxygen is, um, this new guy on Jeopardy. <laughs> You've been asked about this new – who is this new guy on Jeopardy and how did he ruin Jeopardy for all times? There's this guy named Arthur who's been on eight or nine times and – Pshaw, eight or nine times. Eight or nine. Like I do that before lunch. You know? <laughs> but America's going nuts over this guy. He uh, – I guess people at home hate him. Jeopardy viewers don't like change and this guy's very uh, driven about the game. He'll take the clues out of order for strategic reasons. If we did a Venn diagram of Jeopardy viewers – Fox News viewers and Medicaid recipients. Would that just be a circle? <laughs> the age would be identical. I think the, <laughs> the, the political spectrum might be a little different. But you, you'll see the same ads on Jeopardy that you'll see on Hannity. You know, it's all gold catheters and, and gold. pills and, and catheters. Believe. Yeah, it's all catheters. Who knew that there were so many people? It's like at, six straight minutes of catheter ads. I, it around. freaks me the fuck out. It must be a terror, a torment to catheter fetishists who exist. Maybe that's who's watching it. It's young, hip catheter fetishists and not old people that are watching Jeopardy. They've just misread the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out so this guy is like them. fucking with how the game has always been played. Except not really. It's like many, many good players have used these same techniques. He's just taking it on the chin. It might be because he's Asian. Which like, are the t- what techniques are we talking about here? He like he won't. I don't know if you watch. You're a big Jeopardy fan. I, I am absolutely. Every so day. He, he doesn't go. To, <laughs> I watch Love American Style, then I watch Jeopardy, then Match Game, and then I go to bed. <laughs> it's an awful team. Dad Savage is watching blank. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like you're supposed to go from the top to the bottom in Jeopardy. It's sort of the unwritten rule. And he just hops around trying to confuse his opponents, looking for daily doubles. It's it's strategic and it's smart, but maybe it's a little harder to follow at home. I don't Are they going to change the rules to prevent that kind of play? I don't think so. I don't even think it's harder to follow. Like if you're the kind of person who can't 
tell when a player is switching between the hip hop category and the you know Spanish Civil War category. I mean, why are you watching Jeopardy? Wheel, wheel is going to be on in half an hour. You know, <laughs> do the Jeopardy contestants look down on the Wheel contestants? <laughs> They're on adjacent sound stages, and it very much is like some kind of. You know, Elysium, first world, third world kind of thing going it, on there. It, it does feel – I mean watching those shows, you do feel like you have to lose some sort of IQ test to get onto Wheel of Fortune. Yes. The people who can't make it on Jeopardy get a lobotomy and they go on Wheel the next night. And the people whose lobotomies <laughs> go disastrously wrong wind up on The Price is Right. Yes, that's right. They're dressed as chickens or whatever. <laughs> Drew Carey t-shirts. Ken Jennings, Jeopardy champ, author of six books. His new book is – uh, what's the title of the new book? The Junior Genius Guides. It's a series for kids. So all the kids listening out there who want to grow up to be Jeopardy champs, That's who right. want to grow up to be fed into the shredder that is Watson. Guaranteed 74 straight wins if you read these children's books. The Junior Genius Guides by Ken Jennings. Pick them up. Uh, big man on Twitter and one of the – what's your Twitter handle? Ken Jennings. At Ken Jennings. I follow him. You should follow him. Sometimes we talk to each other, which seems to inordinately excite our mutual followers. America loves this uh, football bromance we have. It's weird. It is. It's a little weird. Thanks for coming in. It's a pleasure, Dan. Hi, Dan. I live in Los Angeles. Uh, I've listened to your show for a long time, and I uh, got my girlfriend into it a few months ago. She listens to it really religiously. And um, she's actually my ex-girlfriend as of uh, two days ago. She broke up with me. I'm in a lot of uh, pain about it. Basically, what happened was, in my mind, we were very happy. She has an eight-year-old son, and um, I'd gotten really close with her and her son, and we had kind of a family dynamic going on, and everything was great, and then um, out of nowhere, she brought up that she knew something that I had done eight months ago or so. Um, In the early part of our relationship, when we first became exclusive, I was not really in it yet, and I was fucking around, not physically with people, but I was fucking around on the phone and the Facebook and saying flirty stuff and actually making stuff to set up things with other girls, even though I, I never actually did go through with any of them. But I had told her I loved her, and I had, we had agreed that we were in a monogamous relationship. And she saw that a long time ago. She admitted to snooping on my phone. She told me about two days ago that she had snooped on my phone way back then and had sort of blocked it out and just decided to uh, go trust me or whatever. And what made it come up is I've been running my mouth lately about uh, monogamy and I guess being really self-righteous and saying that I, you know, I could only be in a monogamous relationship and maybe being kind of uh, dismissive of anyone that couldn't. And um, so she, knowing what I had done, finally got set up with me talking like an asshole and, uh, confronted me with it, and I admitted to everything and shed some light on things, and um, she broke up with me, and I guess I'm not even really sure what my question is. Um, I, 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 I just want to figure out how to move forward and just not be a cheating piece of shit, because I, I, I even though I didn't cheat, I was a lying asshole. I was a liar. And um, I don't know. I want to be in a place where I can consider myself a good person who's worthy of love. And um, right now, it's just my self-esteem is so low because it was it was the most it was the best relationship of my life, and I I ruined it. 
if everyone who ever did something shitty or stupid, if everyone who'd ever betrayed someone or made a terrible mistake was disqualified from thinking of themselves as a good person in the final estimation and worthy of love, then no one is a good person and no one is worthy of love. We've all fucked up. We've all made mistakes. We've all hurt the people that we love. And almost all of us are good and decent people who are, despite those bad actions and mistakes, worthy of love. So just tell yourself that. You are a good person who is worthy of love. You are not a perfect person and no one is. I find the whole situation that you described a little hard to wrap my head around. Your girlfriend, your ex-girlfriend, knew about this online flirting that probably when she looked at it could only be interpreted as an intention to cheat if not having you having cheated on her and didn't break up with you then. She continued to see you. Uh, she allowed you to say I love you. Presumably she said I love you to you. She allowed you to form a kind of parental connection and attachment with her child. And then years later, because you're running your mouth about monogamy and saying things that seem to contradict your actions of years ago, she breaks up with you, not because you cheated on her. She didn't break up with you then for what appeared to be cheating or an intention to cheat. She breaks up with you now because what you're saying is so hypocritical. It seems strange to dump someone for hypocrisy now and not to have dumped them years earlier for infidelity if that is actually your beef. So that you were running your mouth and saying shitty things about non-monogamous relationships and saying things about how you think monogamy is so hugely important. If your girlfriend is listening or your ex-girlfriend, to me, and I'm not involved and I haven't seen all the texts and emails and you are a better judge of the particular circumstances and your boyfriend's truthfulness in this moment. But it seems to me that you could look at his past actions, flirting, and a lot of people do that. A lot of people go online and they get their flirt on and then it leaves a digital trail. If he had done it in bars you know, or on business trips or the way people used to get their flirt on with people they had no intention of fucking, you never would have found out about it. He would have brought that sexual energy home and plowed it into you and your relationship. But if he did those things then and now after a few years with you or a couple of years with you, he is singing the praises of monogamy and commitment – well, maybe he's after a couple of years in a monogamous relationship realized monogamy is really what he wants and who he is and that he was – you know, whatever desires he had for other partners then isn't where he is now and it's actually kind of a good sign about him, not a terrible sign about how hypocritical he is but a sign of him growing in a direction that if what you want from a dude is a monogamous commitment, you would want him to grow. So I'm a little confused, ex-girlfriend, as to why you would dump him now for this and not then for that. So maybe you could call in and let us know what your thought process was. We rarely get both sides of the story when we give advice. It's one of the flies in the ointment. It's one of the problems with the whole genre. You get the questioner's version of events. You don't get the version of events from everybody because you can't depose. I wish I could depose everybody. I wish I had the powers of subpoena. I wish I could have a congressional committee and when I get a question like this, have everyone come in and swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. But I actually usually just have to go off of what I've got from the questioner and uh, take my best shot. But if you're listening, you can call in with your side, with your version of events. But if things are as your ex-boyfriend claims, either you're not into monogamy and 
hearing him disparage monogamy upset you or you were just stewing about this for so long that hearing these comments just reignited your fury about what you'd snooped and discovered then or – and this to me seems like the likeliest possible scenario. You wanted out of this relationship and this was the excuse. This was the card you had in your back pocket that whenever you were done, you could lay down on the table and play it and you chose now and because you wanted out, not because you were so offended by these behaviors that you would dump him because clearly you weren't because you didn't dump him when you were aware of the behaviors early on. But now maybe you wanted out and so you hauled this out and this was your justification, your case. Your reasoning for handing him his walking papers? I don't know, and I can't know. But you know, and you could call. Hey, Dan. Wondering what your opposition is to this scruffy, sexy, straight guy stubble. I love it, can't get enough, and just wondering if gay guys really don't like that. Uh, I live in Portland, so that may have something to do with it. I have no objection to scruffy stubble. On straight guys or gay guys, actually, I think a little bit of scruff, a little bit of stubble can be sexy. Terry is often bescruffed and bestubbled. What I object to, which freaks me out, particularly about Portland, Oregon. I love to go to Portland. I do a lot of riding in Portland. It's kind of my retreat. I go to Portland. I hide out. I lurk around town. I slink around town with my laptop writing in cafes. I get a lot done in Portland. And I'm sort of a connoisseur of the boys in Portland. Not that I'm fucking them. I'm just like looking around because I look around. And, you know, 15 years ago, Portland was the world capital of kind of skinny, snaky-hipped, hot rocker boys. Not a huge gay scene in Portland. So most of these guys are those straight boys that you appreciate and I appreciate um, from afar. And then about, I don't know, eight years ago, ten years ago, there came this shift and all of these kind of cute, skinny, sometimes scruffy, sometimes clean-shaven, rockerish. Uh, Alterna boys in Portland, gay and straight, began growing these enormous, ridiculous Yosemite Sam Petri dish beards that are just fucking ugly and gross. And every once in a while, there's a guy who can pull that off. You know, there's a guy every once in a while who can pull off a handlebar mustache. Most guys can't, right? There are guys who can pull off mohawks. A lot of guys can't pull off guys walking around in beards that looked ridiculous. Guys walking around in massive beards that looked like somebody slapped a massive beard on your grandmother. It just didn't work. It doesn't work and that's my objection. No objection to a little sexy stubble or scruff. Objections to this fucking plague of giant ugly ass beards. There was an open letter written to bearded hipsters by uh, Nikki Daniels that went viral on the internet just a, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago. I'm going to quote from the first paragraph. Dear bearded hipsters, you guys are ruining my beard fetish. Ever since I was a little girl, I've loved a man with a beard. To me, they meant strength, power, manliness, someone who could protect me. Unfortunately, you guys have turned it into a fashion statement. The beard has turned into the padded bra of masculinity. It looks sexy, but what you got under there? There's a whole generation running around looking like lumberjacks and most of you guys can't change a fucking tire. So it's not just people like me who prefer beardless men who this beard swarm has turned off. It's also women who like bearded guys who are done, who are sick of it and hard on the heels of Nikki Daniels opened letters to disgusting, unwashed, bearded hipsters. Uh, this story that people are now getting facial hair transplants, people who – guys who want to grow those big bushy beards but can't are getting 
plugs are getting hair moved from the tops of their heads to their fucking faces. Ugh. So scruff, no problem. Stubble, no problem. This beard shit, enough already. Hi, I'm calling in response to episode 385 and the woman who likes to study in coffee shops and not be bothered. I am a kindergarten teacher and how you treat strange men in public is like you treat three-year-olds. You say, this is my work. I am not available. You can walk away. Works every time. Generally, they're too shocked to say anything except actually walk away. Hey, Dan. This is calling about episode 385 where you talked uh, with a woman who's calling about her partner whose big belly got in the way of everything. I'm a guy who weighs about 400 pounds, and I'll say that now, I didn't find anything that you said to be fat shaming per se. I do think that you might want to just be honest and say that you think fat people are icky. I mean, just the way I think that, you know, my ultra conservative Christian mother-in-law should just come out and say that she thinks that gay marriage is icky and just kind of acknowledge that, that that's what it's really about. Because I think that in a different context, I think if there was say, you know, a guy who had a short penis and he and his partner were having trouble, I, I think you'd probably be more creative and, um, less condescending in terms of the solutions that you'd offer. Um, and you did kind of give a, a paltry nod to the idea of slings and things like that, um, but didn't get into, you know, strap-ons and cock sheets and other kinds of things. But I've heard you suggest before in those kinds of situations. And I think that that's basically because you really view the whole obesity thing as a problem that needs to be addressed and that can be addressed and, and that it's sort of a, you know, a character issue. And I agree with you that at a month in, somebody can say this isn't working for me for any reason. So overall, I kind of agree with your advice, but I do think beneath it, there's a, just a kind of an ick thing going on that you might as well just be honest about. Hi, Dan. I'm the tech savvy at risk youth. I am a 36-year-old bisexual, polyamorous, kinky motherfucker. And I am re- I related to the woman in in the uh, call with the gentleman with the uh, larger size stomach. They had uh, body proportion issues that were affecting their uh, their sex. My lover and I would have similar issues, and I will tell you one thing. For me personally, coming to the realization that I was too fat to fuck was a big motivation to get me into the gym. Not for everybody, I apologize for the triggers. But one thing that did really work for for me and her was a modified missionary where I basically sit almost back on my ankles and she puts her ankles into my hands, almost like modified stirrups. Uh, it keeps me from you know, crushing her in the situation that your other caller uh, described. It also tilts her hips up and gives it a little bit deeper penetration from that angle. So just something to try. There are ways. Uh, just keep it up. And, hon, I feel for you out there. And, buddy, between you and me, get to the gym. Love you guys. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number if you want to give us a call, record a question or comment for a future show. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Jeopardy Champ Ken Jennings on Twitter at Ken Jennings. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. We will all be back actually next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.